All right, y'all, just a reminder, uh, in case you forgot, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, we are still walking in the glow, right, of, of Easter Sunday. At least we, we should be. I don't, I don't think actually that should ever fail. Um, so coming out of last week, we, we've been looking at Romans 6, which is a passage that explores the practical present implications of the resurrection of Christ. And it is a rich and deep and somewhat complex pas- passage. And, and coming out of last week, um, we, we spent some time digging into the text and, and uh, exploring some things. And, and uh, I came out really with two, like, just restless, like feeling like that I hadn't, hadn't really explored and explained uh, how this passage fits into the broader argument. Like, there's, like, I, I, my newsletter, I talked about this vein of gold that... I have seen that runs all the way through the book of Romans, and, and this is at the heart of it. It is so beautiful. And so there's one impulse this morning to pull back into the broader picture and to show you this context, this beautiful theme that Paul is developing all the way through the letter that, that has to do with ultimately us um, being created in the image of God and then recreated in the image of Christ, um, the two key verses being Romans 5, 2, uh, our hope is in the glory of God, all the way to Romans eight twenty nine, that, that we are um, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the firstborn of many brethren. Um, the other impulse, though, the first impulse is to pull back and, and to show you this, this incredibly beautiful context. The other is to push in and, and dig in a little bit more to the practical implications of last week's verses, because um, the practical implications are, are compelling and, um, and, and powerful. So you know, this week, I've decided to push into the practical, practical implications. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, taking the thoughts that we unpacked last week and just talking about how do we live this out, okay? Really simply, powerfully, practically, how does this impact me in my daily life. Next week when we move on in the passage, I'm going to recenter it in the broader context and highlight some of those more beautiful themes that, that um, I believe we need to be reminded of so that we can continue to see how Paul's um, developing them. You guys like my bucket? My big green bucket? You like that? Um, imagine for a moment that I, I filled this bucket with, I don't know, Something unpleasant. Gasoline. We'll go there. Okay? And I, I just carry this bucket around, right? Everywhere I go. And, uh, and I kind of do my best to keep the gasoline from spilling out. In fact, honestly, I, I spend most of my time trying to forget that there's even gasoline in it, right? And I, and I do such a good job that, that often I do. Sometimes I forget I'm even carrying a bucket. But it's inevitable. Eventually, uh, somebody bumps into me, right? Something in my environment collides with me in some way that causes the gasoline to spill out. Uh, Just a simple question. Is the problem my environment or what I'm carrying in my bucket? Well, logically, you're like, dude, you... You have gasoline in your bucket. What are you thinking? Right? You're moving through a crowded life and something is going to impact the bucket. And and when it does, that's what's going to come out. 
All right, y'all, this is a metaphor, right? We all have buckets, right? The bucket of your heart. We're all carrying it. You're carrying it all the time, right? And, and, and you're moving around, and um, uh, on the one hand, you're, you're constantly trying to, to fill your bucket, right? This is your heart. You're trying to put something in the bucket that feels good, right? That ultimately is, is going to warm you, make you feel safe, make you feel secure, make you feel significant, make, you know, it's, it's, you're trying to fill the bucket. And so you're constantly running around, right, to different things. Like, like oh, money, money, fill my bucket, right? Or, or uh, my job, right? I got a promotion and, and that feels pretty good. And, and, and man, I might make partner, you know, run over here, fill my bucket with that. Oh, man, that person seems to like me a lot. And that makes me feel good. I like it when people like me. So I'm going to run over here. Will you fill my bucket with more liking of me, right? Just like me more. Um, we're, we're constantly running around trying to, to fill the bucket with things that are, that are going to make us feel significant or secure, worthy of love, um, rested, warmed. Um, the flip side is, is that... that you can try to fill it with anything, right? Like, like, some of us fill it with, with, with money, attention, respect, luxury, distraction, right? The right job, the right promotion, the right position, the right inner circle that accepts me, right? Then I'm significant, right? The, some of you, rules, right? If, if I obey the right rules, if I get religious enough, if I perform well enough, if I, if I live up to my inner critic well enough, then, then I, my bucket will be will be filled. The problem is, of course, it's no good, right? It, it feels good in the moment, whatever it is that, that um, is going in, but it doesn't change what's, what's in there. Because the reality is, what's in your bucket are things like jealousy and fear and anger and lust and greed, self-pity, self-serving manipulation of others, right? We, we, our bucket is filled with, with all kinds of things we don't want to admit are in there but we're really, really good pretenders, right? We're really good at pretending that there's nothing in the bucket and that it's only filled with, you know, sunshine and cotton candy, right? What's in your bucket? Just strength. That's all that's there. Just strength, sunshine, joy, you know, that's all, that's all, right? And, and so we're just constantly trying to, 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 to present this image to others and the reality is we're constantly trying to believe it ourselves. And so we walk around with our bucket, trying to fill it, and ultimately trying to guard it. But it's inevitable that, that life's going to bump into us. Now, here's the thing, y'all. When life bumps into you, whatever comes out of your bucket is what was already there. When something bad happens to you, the bucket didn't just suddenly get filled with anger. The anger was already there. The external situation simply exposed what was already in the bucket, right? When somebody gets a promotion, you find yourself kind of chafing with jealousy. They got what I deserved. It wasn't the circumstance that created the jealousy. It was the circumstance that exposed it. You, you tracking with me, right? It, it, isn't, it isn't the things out there that produce the things in here. It's the things out there that reveal the things 
in here. Jesus said that, right? It isn't the, the outward things that corrupt a man, but the things that flow from the heart. The outward things simply reveal what is already there. Now, what's funny, though, is, is we're always surprised, aren't we? Like, oh, hey, where'd that come from? That's not me. I'm, I'm a nice person, right? It, it, was, it wasn't me, it was, it was them. It wasn't me, they were unfair. It wasn't me, they were mean. If, if you hadn't have treated me like that, I wouldn't have behaved like that. If you hadn't been unfair to me, I wouldn't have been cruel to you. If you hadn't been rude to me, I wouldn't have been short with you, right? And we'll say silly things like, like oh, 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 that was a bad day. That's not, that's not me. That was just a bad day. No, that was actually a really good day to get a glimpse of your heart, right? Who you are in those moments, you're getting a tiny, tiny glimpse of who you really are. It's in those moments that all of your best protection to keep this thing guarded and even hidden, your guard is down. Your protection is, is, is exposed. It is, it is broken. What comes out reveals what's already there. Listen, y'all, conflict doesn't make you angry. Conflict reveals your anger. Right? Other people's success doesn't make you jealous. It reveals your jealousy. Somebody's insult doesn't make you insecure. It reveals your insecurity. Disrespect isn't what makes you feel shame. It reveals the shame that you're desperately trying to hide and pretend isn't there. We spend most of our time trying to avoid the things that reveal our hearts. Because we think that is how we become the person we desperately want to be. I just want to be around those people. Those people who challenge me. Those people who make me uncomfortable. Those people who, who, who have ideas that make me feel insecure. Or those people who have possessions that make me feel small. Or those people who, who voted for a politician that, that makes me feel threatened. Or, or those people who, who have convictions that, that make me feel uneasy. I'm, I'm just going to stay away from them because the solution to in here is to stop the stuff out there from revealing what's in here. And so we set about trying to build ourselves protected little lives with padded walls, right? Just, just bumpers everywhere, right? I'm sorry, that's getting a little too close, you know, not, not you, not today, right? I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm going to keep those people out. I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to dislike you. I'm going to move away from you. I'm going to block you. I'm going to, I'm going to, and pretty soon what we're trying to do is ultimately build this little circle of safety so that what's in here doesn't come out. It doesn't change what's in there. See, that's, that's, we're trying, we're fooling ourselves. We're thinking if it doesn't come out, it's not there, right? If, if I don't get provoked, then what comes out when I am provoked has, has suddenly disappeared. And, and of course, that's not true because 
Whatever's in there, y'all, this is, this is what you need to know. Whatever's in there is always leaking out anyway, just in ways you haven't noticed, in ways that you think are socially acceptable, in ways that hurt others, but not in ways you feel, right? When it explodes out, then you're like, oh, oh man, where'd that come from? That, that's not me. But you need to know that whatever's in there is always leaking, right? Because that bucket leaks all the time, right? So the solution, y'all, the solution isn't to create a safe enough environment that world never bumps you. That's an impossible goal. It will constantly lead you to blaming others, feeling self-pity for yourself and being angry and resentful toward others because if they would just stop, then I could just be. But the solution is never found through creating a safe enough environment. The solution is to change what's in the bucket, y'all. The solution is to fill the bucket with, when, you know, when it spills out, it's like, hmm, I like that. I like that. The solution is to be like Jesus. The solution is, Romans eight twenty nine to become more conformed to the image of Christ. The solution is to be what we were created to be, to actually be those who, who are walking into the hope of the glory of God. And there's only one way to change what's in the bucket, and that's grace. Because the only thing that can change the human heart is love. So, as we think about our verses, <clears throat> I want to remind you that when we think of sin, when we read these verses, we need to think of a more uh, nuanced approach to sin than often we're taught um, in our evangelical circles, right? When we think of sin, we often think of behaviors, right? We talked about that last week, kind of the hierarchy of sinful behaviors, right? You know, typically in my circles, you know, sexual sins were at the top, and then below that were some relational sins and, 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 and some activities that might lead to relational sexual sins like dancing or drinking or going to movies or, or things like that. We think of behaviors, right? But the reality is your behavior is simply the fruit on the vine. It's not the root, right? This, the, the, I'm not saying that there aren't sinful behaviors. I'm saying the sinful behaviors, the behave, by the time it gets to the behavior, man, you're simply seeing the result of a very long process because the root is a disordered desire, a desire for something good that's disordered so that it's not finding its satisfaction in what is good. Right? A need for security, a need for rest, a need for comfort, a need for, for significance, a need for a sense of worthiness. Right, These deep needs, these deep desires that, that ultimately, um, because we've been separated from God, both because of Adam's transgression against God, but also our transgression against God. Right? We call that our worldliness. This, we're not going to be dependent, humbly dependent on God. We're going to be independent from God. We're not going to allow God to meet all of our deepest needs. We'll, we'll meet our own. Thank you very much. God, we just need a little bit of help, right? Help me to be independent, right? I want to be secure, but I want to be secure on my own terms. I don't want to be helpless. Mm, that's scary. No, don't, I don't want to be helpless. You help me so I don't need you, right? I, I, I love the glory thing. I love the respect thing. So God, why don't you give me enough of your glory that, that I just feel comfortable, right? I don't want to just rest in your glory. I want to have my own glory, right? I want to pursue pleasure on my own terms. Don't, don't tell me that that pleasure isn't how I'm going to find true rest, because I think it is. So just kind of back off. Let me pursue pleasure on my own terms so that I can find rest in my own strength. 
right? We spend most of our time trying to get God to make us comfortable in our independence from God. We spend most of our time wrestling with God, not so that we become humbly dependent on God, but so that God becomes humbly responsive to our independent need to be apart from God. We want all the blessings of God's presence without the humble submission of relational love required to get there. We want the blessing of God without the weight of relationship with God. We want God to bless us apart from humble relationship with God. And as a result, what ends up happening is is our deep desires are channeled through our hopes and they lead to our behaviors. Right? So your deep desire ultimately is going to manifest itself through a hope. A hope is an eager anticipation. Right? That's what a hope is. It's an eager anticipation. And so... Um, I have a deep need for um, security. I feel anxious when I feel exposed. I, I, I like things to be secure and constant. And, and, and so that desire channels through a hope. The question is, where, where's that hope going to lead me? A disordered desire leads me into independence from God. Right, so, so my hope for security comes from an environment that's not disrupted. My hope for security comes from having a 401k that's secure enough that I feel um, protected from the fluctuations of the market. My, my hope for security comes from um, having all my ducks in a row all the time. And anybody who disrupts my ducks Man, don't mess with my ducks, right? I'm saying like, like, like the, the, disordered, the disordered desires, the desires for a good thing, security. But what I do is I anchor it on a hope, like it expressed through an eager anticipation that, that, that this is the way I'm going to get there, and that leads to behaviors, right? If I have to have all my ducks in a row in order to feel secure, then I'm going to act in a way that keeps my ducks in a row, and I'm going to push away anything that messes up my ducks, right? So, so if you help me feel like life is in control, you're my friend. But if you're somebody who, who is a little too messy, if you're somebody who, who makes me feel imbalanced, if you're somebody who, who for whatever reason, makes me feel uh, exposed, well, I'm going to manifest behaviors that are in line all the way back to the desire, right? So I'm going to alienate certain people. I'm not going to meet them where they are. I'm going to keep them away from me, right? I'm going to gravitate toward, toward certain things, right? Earning money, gaining prestige, um, right? And, and, and that's true for any of the desires, right? So disordered desires manifest themselves ultimately through misplaced hopes, a hope that somehow I can get this desire met in independence from God whether it is for security or significance or worthiness of love or, or a need for deep rest, right? My hope is that ultimately I can provide for myself, I can protect myself, I can prove myself, um, I can satisfy myself, right? Now, uh, of course, with the work of Christ, we have a very different way of doing life. This, this is, is who we are outside of Christ and outside of the work of Christ. This is who we are as children of Adam. We're born with the transgression, which leads to the sin, 
right? And the sin is, is not simply the behaviors, but the manifestation of the disordered desires all the way through. The behaviors are the result of that sinful impulse to be independent from God. The transgression leads to missing the mark. We have a new hope, though. We talked about this in Romans 5 too, right? We now have the hope. We, have, we now boast in the hope of the glory of God, right? We, we, we once again can have our deepest desires anchored in the goodness of God. Because we now have peace with God through the work of Christ, because he died for our sin, right? He lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again, satisfying God in regard to our sin. He was our substitute in judgment so that we could become his partner in blessing. We can once again have our deepest desires met in our relationship with God instead of from independence from God, right? Um, and so every time, as a believer now, this is the central struggle that we're going to be exploring over the rest of this chapter, how are we going to try to find our desires satisfied? That's the central struggle of the Christian life. And, and sanctification, this, this critical word that means to be set apart for the glory of God or the work that God is doing to make us more of who he's already declared us to be, is this progressive pattern of our learning to, to see our misplaced hopes and replace them with the true hope. To, to recognize, man, in this moment, I'm trying to be independent from God. And instead, I am going to walk in humble dependence on God. Instead of trying to fight against God, I'm going to rest in God. Instead of competing with God, I'm going to rest in the community of God, right? Instead of filling my bucket with the lies that this world can give me what only God can give, instead, I am going to come and yield myself to God, present myself to God, so that He can fill my bucket with what is good. And when, he de- when we do that, God fills our bucket with grace every single time, right? It doesn't matter what, what's in our bucket or what we're presenting to him in our hearts. He always fills our hearts. When we show up to receive, he always gives grace. As followers of Christ, it doesn't matter what your pattern has been, what you've done. It doesn't matter how you're showing up. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're in that moment, you feel like you got it all buttoned together and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, or you feel like all the buttons have been pulled off and you're completely undone in your sin and you're showing up in your complete mess. It doesn't matter. Every time you show up to God, He pours out grace. Why? Because Romans 5.1, we stand in grace. Because of the work of Christ, we don't have to prove ourselves. We just have to show up and receive what Christ has already proven for us, that we are acceptable because we are in Christ. And when we receive grace, it changes what's in the bucket. It changes. That's, that's the transformative work of Christ to, to change our hearts. All right, so in Romans uh, 6... 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, right? What he's describing there is this process. Don't, don't present your members in behavior to sin through the false hope that you can be independent from God, right? Instead, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This word present is a relational word right? Because it is, it is an act of faith. Your hope is an expression of faith, right? Because a hope is, is something that you're yearning for that isn't fully realized or yet received. Every time you act in hope, you're acting in faith. 
You're taking a step of faith either in yourself or in God. Either in your ability to get the fullness of life apart from God or in humble dependence on God. And every time you take one of those steps, it takes you in one of two directions, right? It either takes you into a deeper experience of grace or into a more profound experience of death, right? Death is separation. And so every single time we make a choice that I am going to present the members of my body to this hope that I can find the fullness of God apart from the presence of God, I'm magnifying and, and increasing the experience of separation in my life, of death, and everything that comes with it, right? Death and all of its ugly cousins, right? Loneliness, jealousy, bitterness, self-pity, isolation, right? We magnify the effects of those things. Every time we give ourselves to uh, these false hopes, we magnify death. Every time we yield ourselves to the presence of God, every time we present ourselves, right, we show up. Again, it's a relational word. It's not, it's not this work that we do to try to earn something from God. It's, it's a way of showing up into the presence of God to receive grace, right? So every time I present myself to God in my mess, not to prove myself, not to present myself, not to earn something, but simply to receive I receive. And when I receive grace, it transforms my heart. It changes what's in my bucket. Y'all, hope is fundamentally an act of faith. And, and the critical question that we wrestle with every single day is today, am I going to walk in faith in myself? Or am I going to walk in faith in God? And I'm gonna, am I going to find my deepest desires met in my ability to prove or provide or perform or am I going to rest in God's approval in me because of how Christ has proven and provided and performed on my behalf, right? Am I going to rest in my ability to be secure or Christ's ability to protect me? Am I going to rest in my ability to prove myself or in God's declaration that I'm already glorious? Am I going to rest in, in my strength to make myself worthy of love or am I just simply going to receive the love that God already has for me and rest in that? So, so what I want you to see is this verse is, is describing two fundamentally different energies at work in a Christian's heart, right? One energy is rooted in the glory of man, that, that ultimately I will do for myself, right? In, 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 in a, the book of Galatians, this is what Paul would refer to as the works of the flesh, Right? The works of the flesh, the things that we do in the strength of our independence from God, and they always result in the same things, enmities and rivalries and lusts, and, right? because those things lead to independence from God, which only magnify the effects of death in our life. The, the other, though, is to walk in an increasing dependence on the hope of the glory of God, which is an energy where we are showing up not to perform but to rest, not to do, but to receive. So think about it this way, you guys. Let me, let me try to just simplify this. There are two energies that compete for our attention. One is to keep and to get. The other is to receive and to give. The kingdom of man is all about keeping what I have and getting more. The energy of the kingdom of God is receiving love and giving love. Two fundamentally different energies. 
at comp- they're competing for our heart. They're competing for that hope, right? That our desire is going to manifest itself either through keeping and getting or receiving and giving. One is, is about a black hole of constantly pulling in and, and hoarding and protecting and, 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 and growing in independence because I'm growing in the resources necessary to be independent from God. Or it's this energy of receiving the infinite, never-ending love of God, the infinite approval of God, the infinite love of God, which then frees us because we don't have to keep and get because the flow never ends. We don't have to fight for ourselves because God fights for us. We, we, don't, we don't find our security in, in who we are or what we perform or how we do. We find our security in who he is and what he's provided. And that allows us simply to receive and give. One is a prison of self-centered energy. The other is freedom of generosity. You follow it? Fundamentally different energies at work in the Christian heart. There is a continual battle in our hearts between those two impulses. Will I keep and I get, or will I receive and I give? Keep what I have and get more, or receive what God has given and simply move into the freedom of giving more as I receive more? Will, will, I, will I pull back to protect or push out to bless? What we choose determines which side of the battle we align ourselves with, right? We, we talked about this, that, that this verse, when it says instruments, like you, you either present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness or instruments of righteousness. The word instruments is, is, is almost always, uh, predominantly translated as weapons. You become a weapon in your own heart, in the spiritual warfare for your own heart. You're either a weapon against yourself or for yourself. You're, you're either a weapon against the work of God and against the work of grace, or you're a weapon for grace. All right, and that explains the tie between righteousness and justice. All right, let me, let me bring us back to our verse. Do not present your members, the members of your body, to these disordered desires and, and misplaced hopes as weapons of unrighteousness against yourself and against those that are around you to keep and to get. No, but instead present yourself, show up in the presence of God, right, to receive, right? Allow yourself to be honest and, and integrity, show up to receive love, right? Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life right? You're already alive. You don't have anything to prove. You're already covered in the righteousness of Christ, right? And your members to God as weapons for righteousness. Last week, I, I talked about how because we tend to think of sin as bad behaviors, we tend to think of righteousness as the absence of those bad behaviors, right? So, so a lot of times when we read these verses, what we think that means is, I'm a weapon for purity. Purity is the absence of impurity, and the more pure I get, the more righteous I am. And that really is just a very negative, that's part of it. I mean, that's part of it, but that's like the negative part of it, right? That, and what I mean by negative is the, it is the absence of bad things, but what we're missing there is it's the presence of good things, 
To become a weapon of righteousness means not just the absence of bad things, but the active presence of good things, right? The word righteousness, dikainos, has at its heart dk, which is the word for justice. You cannot have righteousness without a passion for justice. The two are absolutely intertwined. Let me show you a video that I think actually does a really good job spelling this out better than I'll do. So let's watch it. Acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like, here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. 
Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John and Tim from The Bible Project. Thanks for watching this video. This was a theme video where we take one biblical motif and trace it from beginning to end. We also do a lot of other videos you can find here on our YouTube channel. The Bio Project is a nonprofit animation studio and we're crowdfunded, which means you can help us make the next videos. You can find more information at our website, thebibleproject.com. I decided to leave the commercial on the end because I love these guys. The Bible Project, they do great stuff and uh, you can find them on YouTube. Um, but what I loved about this video is the compelling visual way it describes this sense of righteousness and justice being intertwined. That, that at the end of the day, becoming instruments of righteousness isn't about just not sinning. It's about becoming a source of blessing to those who uh, we can bless, right? It, it, is, it is not walking by the Good Samaritan, even though it's inconvenient to stop, even though we're in a rush, even though they're in a defiled state, and it's going to cost us. But, but, you know, the rabbis who walked on the other side of the road, very, very pleased in their relationship with themselves and with their God, and instead it was the Samaritan, the despised one, who actually stopped and took care of the beat-up man, right? That, that's righteousness. 
That's justice. You know why? Because here's the thing, y'all. Righteousness and justice is the expression of love. Love is what we receive from God. Love is what we're called to act in from God, right? What we're talking about is is not by, uh, our job is not to go create the kingdom of God for Jesus. Our job is to live out the principles of the kingdom of God as those who have been loved deeply by Jesus and who operate in that love toward others. We are either going to be fighting to keep what we have and get more, or we are going to be learning to receive what Christ has given and give it away. One is an internal black hole of self-focused, self-protective, self-glorying need. The other is the humble dependence of coming into the presence of a God who pours himself out endlessly in love toward you so that you can then generously pour that love out toward others. Think about it in very practical terms. When you get tired, what do you want to do with your bucket? Not today. I'm about empty. I got no more to give. Right? When, when, when you're feeling uh, threatened and off balance, not going to do with you today. Too costly. I'm going to run over here and see if this can fill my bucket. I'm going to run over here and see if this can fill my bucket. I'm going to keep what I have and I'm going to get more. The problem with that is that when you are driven by an internal driven need, which is greed, that's self-centered, you never fill your bucket. You're always exhausted. You're never going to become generous, right? When we are coming and allowing the grace of God to fill our hearts, we come to recognize that we are blessed when we give. In fact, we are more blessed when we give than when we receive. That we become richer by loving. That we become more secure by helping others find the security they don't have. We become more significant by helping others find the significance that they, have, they, they can't find. We, we become more worthy of love when we help others become more deeply aware of how worthy they are of love. You want to fill your bucket. Go fill theirs. You want to stop being exhausted. Go give someone the energy of your love. You want to be significant. Find somebody who is on the margins of our culture and our world and give them worth. Because it's not yours to give. You're simply acknowledging what God has already given them. You are joining in the kingdom value of giving grace and you cannot give grace without being enriched by grace. And you cannot grow in the riches of love by hoarding and keeping and self-protecting. Every time we choose to see someone who is suffering injustice, abuse, or exploitation, and and we become weapons of worldliness, of of a, like, I'm not just going to look. 
I'm going to go on the other side of the road. I'm going to live in a different neighborhood. I'm, I'm going to turn off that news. I'm going to not look into. I'm just going to ignore it. When we do that every single time, we're actually denying the dominion that has been entrusted to us by God as those who are now recreated in the image of Christ. We are to exercise our power for good, not self. Every time we reject pride and defensiveness or the seducing call of self-pity and instead entrust ourselves to God and commit ourselves to love, we lay down the weapons of worldly self-protection to take up the truly powerful weapon of love. Every time we, we rebuke the temptation to find our worth in our esteem or in the applause of people whom I admire or who we want to admire us, I rebuke the cosmic traitor in my own heart that would seek to ultimately rob glory from God to clothe myself in it. Every time I am tempted to, to yield to the temptation of finding pleasure or comfort in misusing one of God's good gifts like sex or food or influence or money, and instead yield to the love of God, to allow his love to meet that deep need, I shine with the glory of one loved with an infinite love. Every time I humble my heart and quiet my mind when I feel falsely accused or misrepresented or threatened by the words or ideas of another, I renew my fealty to the true king instead of trying to take the scepter of the kingdom from him every time. I simply do what I have in front of me. As humble or as menial as it feels, with all of my strength to the glory of God, who made me able to do it, I clothe myself in the fame of the God of productivity and glory. Y'all, every single time we choose humility, Every single time we seek to give dignity instead of fight for our own. Every single time we seek to love instead of self-protect. We are crowned with the glory of the kingdom. And we are exercising dominion entrusted to us as those created in the image of God. Let's seek to fill the buckets of others. Instead of believing the lie that we're more protected when we seek to fill our own. Let me close this in a word of prayer, and then we will share communion, and um, then we will close in song. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are the embodiment of the very thing we describe. <clears throat> you give, and you give, and you give, and you never stop giving because it's who you are. You are love, and because you are love, you are grace, and in grace you give. You give to those who don't deserve it. You give to those who aren't thankful for it. You give to those who, who have no idea of the value of what they've been given. But Lord, it's in the receiving of what you give that we are changed. It is in the receiving of this love that the insanity of our greed is exposed and the beauty of the invitation of love is made clear that we can be truly rich, truly free, truly secure, truly rested. Not because we're good enough to fight for ourselves, but because you are good enough to fight for us. And we, by grace, can simply receive what you give. 
Lord, free us into this love and free us, Lord, to love others recklessly, freely. Give us a vision even this week how we can fill others' buckets instead of fighting to protect our own with love, with dignity, with security, that we might honor you by learning to be generous with others in the same way you've been generous with us. We pray this in the name of our King and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.